Hello, everyone. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by my Patreon. I have a Patreon community. I'm very excited to share it with you all. In my Patreon community, I have workshops around conscious leadership, anti-racism work, intentional well-being, intentional, joyful, mindful movement. I have a wonderful journal to keep you on track for your own personal well-being. We do conversations. There's a book club and a reading list and merch. We have the cutest merch over on Patreon. So I'm going to thank myself for sponsoring this podcast. You can check me out at www.patreon.com forward slash Diane Bondi. I hope to see you there. I have been talking about you all week to everybody, like since our lunch about anti-aging activists, because that's the first time I've ever heard it. And you and I have like a, like a whole little sorted history. It's not sorted. It just, or not so sorted. sorted. (laughs) It's it's a nice history. Whatever I think sort of, I think scandalous. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. scandaloso. Like I think about it as like a novella, a telenovela, but it's nothing like that. But we we met a while ago. So let's jump in. Mm-hmm. So we're jumping in here. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. My guest today is the illustrious, the fabulous, the wonderful David Wilson of old school S C as in S cool, not S school, as in cool moves. I I share his content a lot on my um on my uh, page because it's amazing. And he challenges the way I move my body, the way I think a lot of things. I'm grateful to know you. Welcome to the podcast, David. Oh, the feeling is very much mutual in, in, in many ways I am who I am because I met you and that is not an exaggeration. Come on now. I love, I love, I love your work. So should I read your bio or do you just want to tell us about yourself? How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm good either way. I kind of like the bio. So why don't you read it? Oh, yeah. Did you, like, whip this up on the spot? Uh, no. Okay, good. I was like, if you don't have, like, a bio leg around, we'll just talk, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you must know him. I love him. A professional educator and personal trainer, David Wilson brings a lifelong interest in how people learn to both uh, learn to both his teaching and practice of movement. He believes that combining curiosity, my favorite, playfulness, my second favorite, and compassion, self-awareness, anyone can practice movement in ways that will interest them, support them, and evolve them in their lives and bodies. As an anti-ageism, this is the one I love, advocate, I call you an activist, um, he is deeply interested in how attitudes toward aging influence how we age. Welcome to the podcast. I have been thinking about our conversation from about, I want to say it's almost two, three weeks ago when we had lunch Mm -hmm. in the downtown court. It has been filtering into my thought process. Like when you were sharing with me the statistics, I I repeated it several times around having the marker for uh, Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and offsetting or or delaying the onset of Alzheimer's by through movement and positive aging, thinking around positive aging. And I just, I love it. Like I, I, I repeated you over and over again. I announced you um, this morning on my, uh, 
um, intentional well-being blurb that I do every day on Wellness Wednesday, tell people to go follow you because I think you're brilliant. And that is not hyperbole either. So it's going to be a little bit of a love fest here for those of you who aren't familiar with my friends. I only invite people on the podcast that I think can really inspire change, that are really doing the hard work of showing up every single day. And that's you, my friend. I'm always intrigued by what you share with the world. So tell me, how did you get started on this quest? I started to experience ageism. So I yep. am, I come from a privileged background as a white male um, who is, well, not rich, certainly comfortable enough economically. So I don't have any of the stresses mm -hmm. and um, issues, the life challenges that would be associated with um, belonging to a more marginalized or poorer community. So it actually came as quite a shock to me uh, when I started to experience ageism that things that, and this sounds really naive of me, but I guess I was naive, so I might as well own it. Um, it, it came as a real shock to me that I was being judged and my value and my worth what? was being judged. Who are these on, people? Yeah, I know. How dare they, right? How dare they? Uh, that <laughs> I, was, I was being judged mm -hmm. just because I was getting some gray hairs. And, yeah. You know, because I was, I started to experience it in my 40s and then I started mm. to experience it even more in my 50s. Fabulous. And, you know, now I'm in my 60s and of course I continue Sexy to 60s. experience it. Yeah. There you go. Why, why thank you. There why, you go. Thank you. There you go. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was through the experience of ageism that I, I, I began to actually open my eyes, not just to ageism, but to, I guess, all forms of discrimination. Mm. So I think one of the very first conversations that you and I ever had Yep. Uh, which I'm a little bit embarrassed about. No, now. share. No, no, um, no. We learn. When we know better, we do better, yeah. right? But um, you know, I actually shared with you that mm -hmm. that that I thought that ageism was uh, experience, the experience of ageism was a little bit, or in fact, I might have actually said a lot like experiencing racism. And now I know much better than that, <laughs> that they are two completely different things. <laughs> but in, in my mind, in my mind at the time, it was, right. okay, um, I'm being, I'm, I'm experiencing this um, discrimination. And in mm -hmm. fact, my, I began to realize I had my own internal, uh, internalized mm -hmm. ageism as well that I was becoming aware of. And mm -hmm. then I'm thinking, Oh well, this must this must be what it's like to be a person of color. Oh, this must be what it's like to belong to another marginalized community. And well, I was pretty naive in equating the two, like really naive and really not understanding really significant differences. Yeah. Um, it it began me on the path where I came to come to be interested not just in. Um, prejudice, discrimination, stereotypes as they were applying to me, mm -hmm. but then also how stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination were applying to other groups of people and really opening my eyes to the idea of where stereotypical thinking exists in one context, it's harmful to everybody in all contexts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always say that to um, other marginalized identities or 
historically excluded identities that we have that common thread of understanding what it's like to make to be made to feel different or stupid in some cases or incapable in some cases or inferior in some places and it's you've really made me look deep into some of my thoughts around ageism and I kind of think my my identity with age kind of um, evolved with watching my dad really get scared about aging. Like he had a whole meltdown on his 40th birthday that my mother, they've been divorced for like 30 plus years, that my mother till this day still talks about how she had planned this big surprise party for him. He, she had, you know, rented out a restaurant. She wanted to really celebrate his 40th and he didn't want anybody to know that he was 40. And I just remember being a little kid and asking him how old he was. And he'd always tell me some arbitrary number. And I'd go upstairs and I, we talked to my mom about something completely unrelated and somehow it would come up. And I'd tell my mom, oh, dad says he's this age. And she'd just stop and look at me and like, your dad is not 28 mm -hmm. or whatever it was he said. Mm -hmm. And I just, I got that whole fear of aging started, started like really be coming into my consciousness around eight years old. I remember my dad started a whole skincare routine. He was using this thing called oil of Olay, like it used to be this, it's all different now. Like it's mm -hmm. repackaged and remarketing and mm -hmm. st the stuff is still out there, but it's kind of different. And he'd be putting on second debut and all these creams on his face. Like he was really quite um, obsessed with, with staying young. And I, it kind of planted the seed for me. And then I started to kind of fear aging. And then every big birthday I would have, I'd have some kind of weird meltdown around it. And I never used to before. Like, you know, when you're a little kid, you're always pushing your age. I'm five, but I'm almost six. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm 15. Soon I'll be able to drive at 16. And like, you know, all these things that kind of mark your entry into a, adulthood. And I think you hit around 25 and you think, uh-oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. what else is there to look forward to with aging and society has made it really seem like aging is a negative thing or a bad mm -hmm. thing or something that only happens to people in certain socioeconomic groups because we we look at celebrities and they seem to be not aging and turning back the clock and not being honest about the procedures they're mm -hmm. doing to stop those you know to stop what happens naturally to the rest of us mm -hmm. so um let me kind of set your mind at ease a little bit around aging. So let's draw the distinction, first of all, between aging, which is a natural biological process, and ageism, mm. which is the attitudes we bring toward aging. One of the most influential um, advocates and anti-ageism advocates, a woman by the name of Tracy Gendron, says right in the very preface of her book, I think it's the very first words you read in her book, something along the lines of, everything you know about aging is wrong. Wow, it's a big statement. And that's, uh, in my experience, that's very, very true. So you mm -hmm. think about all of the stereotypes that are associated with aging physical frailty, not yep. necessarily so. No. So physical frailty is largely uh, influenced, yes, by factors that some of us have within our control, some lifestyle choices that we have within our control, but also due to social, cultural, environmental influences. Those are going to have a far greater in impact on how we age than our actual age itself. Mm. Similarly, 
we all think the, the stereotype is we're all going to end up in an old age home. Well, mm. here's the statistics for Canada. Even in our 80s, so beyond the age of 85, 70% of us, 70% of us, seven zero, solid. Will eight. yes, will will remain in our homes. Ah, oh, that's a nice thought. Our homes. That's and good. between the ages of sixty-five and seventy-five, it's much lower than that. Mm. So, so the 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 number of people or the percentage of people who uh, would be in. Uh, retirement residences or seniors residences or, or whatever you want to call them uh, would be far lower so that you know uh, 95 percent of us between mm. the ages of um, or more 95 percent of us or more between the ages of 65 and 75 we don't really need to be worrying that much about dementia and being uh, having to go into some form of institutionalized care the idea that old people are sad and lonely and unattractive. Well, we both know, all of us know that, that, none of that's uh, true. that yeah, that none of it's true, that yeah. attractiveness is a social construct. Yes. And is. yeah, yeah. That's and, different. and over 70% of uh, people who would be 65 years of age or older have a romantic partner with whom they are sexually active. So there's a yeah. whole heck of a lot of attraction going on, Absolutely. even if the rest of the world doesn't necessarily see it. And, you know, I would, inv I would invite the listeners, if the moment that I said old people and sex, you went, ooh, <laughs> um, that, that might be a little bit of an indication um, that there's, there's a, problem with a, you, a, a tiny, a tiny bit of work to be done around right. internalized ageism. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of blame uh, television society on that perpetual, we cannot get older. And it's kind of a, and it's even a double standard because men, you know, get more distinguished with age, right? You're allowed to age slightly different than women. And if women, you know, let everything happen the way it's supposed to happen, somehow we are letting ourselves go or we give up on trying. Mm -hmm. My mother tells this story that she was in a store in Barbados when she used to live there and she let her hair go gray a long time ago. And she really, every now and again, she'll shock us all and dye it blue or purple or something. And she does it herself. So it doesn't always turn it. out the greatest. Like when we met her for her 80th birthday, we uh, went to a restaurant in London and we kind of met halfway because I live in Essex County near Windsor and she lives in Waterdown. So we met in London, Ontario. And we met at a really nice restaurant and everybody came out and we kind of did it midweek so it wouldn't be too busy. We actually did it on her birthday. And she came out of the car and she just gave me this look and I was like, your hair is really cute because it was this turquoisey greedy color that she didn't intend. It was supposed to be purple. And I always tell her that's why I don't do my own hair because, yeah, it'd be weird colors. We go into the restaurant and everybody's complimenting her on her hair color, but um, she's always allowed herself to go gray. And she was mm -hmm. in the store in Barbados when she lived there. And this woman in front of her, she said, who was clearly probably in her 90s, had been dyeing her hair like jet black. And to me, my mother says, why fight that? Why not just go gray? And this woman turned around and was looking her up and down and, go, and said to the cashier, I refuse to give up on my life. I refuse not to dye my hair, indicating um, that my mother had given up on life because she dyed her hair. And my mom's like, 
I'm not giving up on life. I'm just giving up on dye. Like I just, I don't Mm -hmm. want to purchase it. I don't want the hassle of putting it in my hair. Mm -hmm. And you know, she's got great silver hair and she rocks it. Sometimes she puts some purple and pink in it. Sometimes she just lets it be silver. But my mother is far from not, from not participating in life. She is one of the most active people I know and Mm -hmm. still practices yoga and she's actually in her 80s she sits with older folks um who need companionship so she she does that makes lunch goes to the grocery store with them you know she's she was saying to me she's tired of the world looking at her like she's not a productive member of society mm-hmm. she said Ooh. that to me the other day and i was like just wow that must suck to have people just dismiss you because mm-hmm. you're a certain age Mm-hmm. Uh, not only dismiss you, but think that you should make way for other more productive people. Yeah. Uh, you might be interested to know that uh, among U.S. patent applications, um, the median age is 46.8 years. Wow. Which is kind of interesting. Because yeah. we tend to think that among inventors, they'd be a lot younger, right? So if the median age is 46.8 years, that means that there are just as many people applying for patents who are over 46.8 years as under 46.8 years. And interestingly, around productivity, it's been shown that uh, mixed age teams in workplaces, so those teams that consist of uh, a full range of ages, are tremendously more productive I believe than that. single age groups. And I you know, you that. and I had this conversation before. They offer a multiplicity of perspectives. There Absolutely. are brain changes that happen to people when they're young, when they're middle-aged, when they're old, that help us bring certain advantages to the table. So if we begin to look at all of life stages as accompanied both by some loss, Mm -hmm. as well as by lots of gifts and opportunities, I think that that's a a more optimistic and in all honesty, more realistic way Mm -hmm. to move through life. So for example, I'm, I'm I'm not the man that I was when I was 18. Neither do, n- n- and you don't really want to be, do you? Like, Well, I mean, some of him I liked, but yeah, some of sure, him I sure. really didn't like that much. Right. And, you know, some of him I'm, I'm quite happy to to not Leave have, re- yeah, to, to have left behind. And mm-hmm. all of life stages are accompanied by moving towards certain things and moving away from other things and letting those things go. And I think that when we try to hold on really, really desperately mm-hmm. to what is is moving away, then we're not really being observant around some of the things that could be coming our way that could be really exciting and really interesting and full of opportunities for being productive, contributing members of society. Absolutely. I think I love that idea, like the the idea of non-grasping. And it's taken me... um, getting to be in my fifties to let go of that, you know, non-grasping. I honestly think I didn't have the panic of turning 50. Of course you could ask my husband, he'd be more truthful because I don't remember it was during the pandemic. I think I was more angry that I couldn't have a big party because mm-hmm. it was right in the middle of, it was 2020, April of 2020 when I turned I remember. 50, I right? remember. Like, I just was like, damn it. Like I was going to have a party. Mm-hmm. We were going to celebrate. And now I'm in my basement in my pajamas eating chocolate and peanut butter ice cream which was equally as good I'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. um I would have preferred to have done it with friends and family but 
I, I love this idea of not grasping at things because the more you grasp at something, the harder it is, the more it's going to drift away from you. And I've really, when you've called me in, when I've made posts on my Instagram um, that are ageist and you've, call, you've slid into my DMs and, and called me out, sometimes I think it's okay to laugh at myself being old. Like I love this um, Sally O'Malley, which is a... a a Molly, why can't I remember? A Molly Shannon character from SNL. Mm-hmm. And everybody has been doing like a duet of it. And I do it every time in my Pilates class. Like I pull mm-hmm. up my pants and go, I'm Diane Bondi and I'm 52 and I like to kick, stretch, and kick. Cause ah, and I just love it. I know she's poking fun. She's got this huge football hair. And I just think it's great to see other women out there embracing Sally O'Malley and showing us that age looks different in everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And that embracing some of the, the, the great things that come with age, like uh, wisdom and discernment. And I drive a nicer car. Uh, <laughs> I don't have milk crates for furniture because when I was in mm-hmm. university, that was a thing. We made everything out of milk crates. Um, you know, just better experiences and an, and an ability to have a different perspective on life. Like you said, 18-year-old David, it was great. And there's lots of things we liked about 18-year-old David, but I, I'm willing to guess, and you could always correct me if I'm wrong because I'm making assumptions here. I'm guessing that you like 60 plus David way more like all the things that David has gotten to do mm -hmm. on the planet and shaped his perspective is far more interesting than 18 year old David it's actually I I like hanging out with myself a lot better than I did so I I wasn't yeah I well it's actually I wasn't terribly compassionate toward myself Mm. so I, I definitely had huge negativity bias where I tended to weigh the negative more heavily than the positive. And mm-hmm. um, I was on this continuous track of uh, self-improvement or thinking that I needed to be more. Uh, and, you know, I recognize that a good part of that comes from the um, society within which I live, but I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've largely let go of that. Mm-hmm. So it's a continuous practice because, of course, I'm surrounded by the beauty industry. I'm surrounded by the yes. fitness and wellness industries yes. that uh, are continuously telling me that I should be doing more. Yes. Um, but, or being other or somehow being better or seeking ways to be better, but I've, I've largely let go of that. So I, I would say that in fact, the greatest gift of, of the last 10 years for me is actually finding more compassion for myself. Oh. And of course, when you find more compassion for yourself, you also find more compassion for, for other others. people. It's and so and then, then when I let go of all of those stories and narratives around continuous self-improvement I actually became more curious mm. about what was what, I, what was actually out there I, I, it was strange for me I think I think in my early 50s somebody asked me what, what do you really like to do and I mm. had to pause yeah and I gave them an answer mm-hmm. but I, I recognized that I was really struggling to give an answer that I had mm-hmm. been largely governed for a good part of my life with what I thought I had to do mm-hmm and so much so that I was not at all, at all, really in touch with what I, what do I like to do? What do I love doing? What, what gets me up in the morning? You know, at that time, get what got me up in the morning was simply it's having to go to a job. Yeah. Um, and 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 that was that was a real moment of um, change for me, change where I, I realized, okay, let's 
let's let's pause and let's not ignore this. This is a gift. Let's you not know what? ignore this. I heard somebody else talk about this um, recently as well, that they had no idea. They, they did, you know, their undergrad and then they did their master's and then they did a PhD and they've spent all their time in school. And they've only started to realize that, oh, I like makeup and I like putting makeup on my face. Oh, mm-hmm. I like going out and dancing because you are so preoccupied with getting set up in life, right? Like when mm-hmm. you were growing up, everybody's always asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so your focus, I think, from that time that you can put together that you have to do something with your life, that seems to mm-hmm. possibly be your primary focus to the exclusion of all else. Like you never really think about what it is you truly want or truly like. I got to get that job. I got to settle down. I got to get married. I got to, got to, got to, got to. And I'm hoping that this next generation can pause really and say to themselves, you know, who am I? What do I like? Is this something I'm going to like to do forever? Or is this mm-hmm. something I'm going to do for a few years and move on? Because I think in my mom's generation, um, my mother's in her 80s, that there was this idea that you would go to work and work at the same job for 30 years and then you would retire at whatever the age is, like 60 or 65. And then you would, you know, walk off into the sunset or whatever it is. But I don't think that's a reality anymore. Me as a person Mm -hmm. in my 50s, I probably had eight or nine careers Mm-hmm. In the, you know, I started working when I was 14 and I I've had a like literal careers. I was an accountant for a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I've done a lot of different kinds of jobs and mm-hmm. I'm appreciative that the world has shifted. And as I get older and I run teacher trainings, the amount of people in my teacher trainings who look at movement modalities, whether it's yoga or Pilates or whatever it is, as their next part of their career or that next journey for them. Because mm-hmm. the majority of people that I train in teacher trainings, um, you know, maybe prior to this year, prior to doing online trainings, were older adults looking at the next stage of their lives and figuring out how they could help other older adults enjoy mm-hmm. the next stage of their life. And that mm-hmm. was a pretty big shift for, for what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a tremendous shift. And there's, there's so many things that you just referred to that I'd, I'd really like to pick up on. Yeah, let's I think, dive in. I think, I think one of the, the, the most important ones for me is when I'm, I'm experiencing ageism, and when I'm experiencing ageism, it's I'm being put in a box. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm being told as, as, as an older person, I'm only allowed to be this, 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 or this, as opposed mm-hmm. to being offered all of the opportunities that we uh, ascribe and 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 give to people of all other ages. Yeah. So it's a it's a question of freeing myself from my own internalized ageism, mm-hmm. and also working within society to combat and hopefully eliminate ageism, although that might not happen within my lifetime. So that, so that everybody, everybody, regardless of age, regardless of race, and yes, I know I'm talking, you know, really blue sky here. Mm -hmm. We can be allowed to explore, experience the full spectrum of what it means to be human, Mm -hmm. rather than just this little tiny sliver that we've either allotted to ourselves because of internalized ism, Mm -hmm. name your ism, 
or because society has made that really narrow slice for us with mm. where it expects us to inhabit. So what I love, for example, about your mom's story is how she's saying, I just want to experience the full spectrum. And if I dye my hair, who cares? Exactly. Who cares? Yeah. And, you know, when you're talking about um, the people in your yoga classes experience a career, experiencing a career change. Well, that's maybe moving from a, one role to a completely different role and mm-hmm. stepping into uh, a, a helping role that they weren't in to the same degree before. So you know, really fighting with ageism is simply opening an opportunity, uh, opening up possibility so opening a possibility first in our own minds, recognizing our own internalized ageism so that we can even have that imaginative thought where we can have that vision that hmm, I don't have to be this. I can be this. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't have to be frail. So my own journey was I decided in my 50s that I was not going to accept what I was being told by medical professionals mm-hmm. around how I should treat my body or stop treating my body. But instead, I was going to, and this is one of your words, intentionally, Mm -hmm. intentionally be curious about what I could do. And that was, that was it. I'm I'm going to be curious about what I can do. And I'm going to bring compassion to that endeavor. And of course, then I began to experience things that I hadn't anticipated I would ever be able to do in my life that in fact, I wasn't able to do when I was a teenager. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And that made me think, okay, well, hmm. Yeah. uh, How have I been boxed in by, you know, this belief Mm -hmm. that certain things are going to happen to me as I grow older? And gee, isn't it interesting that, for example, just to take one of so many examples now that I can't even begin to list them, but I think one of the first ones was I was never able to do a pull-up as a kid. Never able to do a pull-up as a kid. Me neither. I get that. Yep. I can do pull-ups now. Yes. And flipping over and all kinds of things that I was inspired to try on my hammock. Isn't that interesting? That whole mind over kind of matter or believing. The problem with a stereotype or when people kind of narrow your focus into you can only be these things. I find if you hear it enough, you start Mm -hmm. to believe it to be true. Mm. And people get to a certain age and because we've only ever had, in my opinion anyway, and this is my arrogant opinion, um, we've only ever had this negative chatter, the majority of negative chatter and imagery around aging. Like we never, we Mm -hmm. rarely get positive imagery around aging unless it's get this anti-aging, right? Like Mm -hmm. how is it JLo still looks like she's whatever age? I said, yeah, um, but there's a lot of filters on her website. She's mm-hmm. a billionaire, so she can have she can have a facelift mm-hmm. tomorrow, and like she's not going to admit to it, and and things like that. So it's it seems to me it's either in society it's one or the other. Either so, you're fighting, oh, mm-hmm. right? It's the dualism mm-hmm. of it. Either you're fighting this anti aging, good for her, she doesn't look her age, blah blah blah, ray ray ray, or you're like all the way on to the other side. See, I told you you weren't going to be able to do that now that you're old. And mm-hmm. I was always raised with the perspective, and this is something my mother say, says whenever I said, oh, it's too late to do that now. And she says, as long as you're still alive, it's not too late. And I'm like, okay, it's definitely too late for me to have a baby. That is 100% for sure. 
and uh, that ship has sailed for me. And I'm good with that. But mm -hmm. there's other things that we just, we talk in our brains. We talk ourselves out of doing so many things. Mm -hmm. When I say it's too late for me to have a baby, I am set in my ways now and I don't want to talk. Or I don't, I don't want to, I want to sleep through the night. Ah, oh, so it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. It's a choice. Yes. <laughs> I to sleep through the night. <laughs> um, so let's, let, let me, let me just pick up on a couple of things. So, so first of all, anti-aging is pro-death. So you are uh, aging. I yeah. am aging. Everybody's aging. Your sons are oh, aging. I know. Yeah. So if I'm anti-aging, I'm pro-death, period. And, and, and so people who are engaged in anti-aging, yeah. they're, they're denying something that I think that in fact they actually want. Sure. Yes. So I, I want to be a day older and then I want to be a year older and then I want to be a decade older. Please, exactly. please let please, me age. Pretty, please, pretty, please, please, please. Yes. 100%. The other thing that I'd like to pick up on is the idea of a stereotype embodiment, which you were just referring to, that we become the stereotypes that we believe. Becca Levy is a well-known researcher out of the United States. And in, and in fact, she's written a very accessible book for people who aren't um, necessarily science geeks. Uh, called Breaking the Age Code. Mm. And she's done some tremendous work uh, looking at the influence of stereotypes. So let, let me give you an example. And this is a really interesting example because it shows that um, ageist stereotypes can influence us at any age. Mm. So mm -hmm. she took a group of people of a variety of ages and she had them do a recall test. So in other words, a test of memory. Okay. But prior to that recall test, some of the people were exposed to uh, negative stereotypes around aging, especially, you know, decrepitude, frailty, memory loss, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And it was subliminal, largely subliminal. They were flashed um, I can't remember if it was either words or images that were around this so that their brains would see it, but not necessarily at a conscious level. They, okay. would, they would grasp it, but not at a conscious level. Other groups were not exposed to those particular images and stereotypes, regardless of age. So whether it was a young person uh, who was exposed to these stereotypes or whether it was a middle-aged or older person, the people who were exposed to the negative aging stereotypes performed significantly worse on these recall tests, which simply shows that what we believe about ourselves is going to influence us. Subsequent trials have confirmed that this is a thing. And similar trials have been done around things like walking speed and balance. Oh. And remember, I'm not talking about just old people mm -hmm. i'm talking about people of Everybody. all ages yeah. who when exposed to these negative stereotypes yeah. um have immediate influences on their capacity which is just crazy yeah so yeah. let me share probably the most shocking statistic that i have to share with you there's a, a longitudinal study that uh, that has been done so longitudinal just means that it tracks people over decades. Okay. Okay. And toward the beginning of this study, an attitude survey happened to be done. And one of the things, it was around a whole bunch of things, but one of the 
the things that happened, the, the, one of the attitudes that happened to be gathered was around aging. Mm-hmm. And then these people were tracked over decades and decades and decades. And an interesting thing, the people who had the most positive attitudes toward aging, mm-hmm. attitudes and beliefs, lived on average seven and a half years longer than those who had the most negative attitudes and beliefs around aging. Holy smokes. That's a lot. Seven years is a lot. Yeah. yeah. 10% of your life. Yeah. But it makes sense. So for example, let's say I'm beginning to feel something in my body that doesn't feel quite right to me. Mm -hmm. If I think that that is a natural part of the aging process, I'm not necessarily going to go see a doctor. Right. Yeah. So there are lots of, I mean, that's just one example of a factor that might be at play there. That mm-hmm. wasn't part of the study, but if I extrapolate a little bit and think about, hmm, if I think that, you know, certain things that we associate with aging really are, then I might not be taking care of myself Yes. because I believe that I have absolutely no control. Yes. So, I mean, in, in, in your domain as, um, as, as a, as a movement professional and my domain as a movement professional, People have to believe there has to be some belief and some joy and, and, and some optimism when people come to us and say, uh, show me what, show me, show me what maybe I can do. Yeah. They're, they're coming to us for a reason that they want to believe that change is possible. And if I believe that, that this decrepitude that Mm -hmm. we associate with old age is inevitable, then I might never go see Diane Bondi or David Wilson true that you know what that that is a hundred percent true and I can I know I've heard about this study in a slightly different perspective in um in aligning it with race when Mm -hmm. given black um, people black students in particular a test and just having them write that test they Mm -hmm. scored a certain score on that test but when you gave black people the same test um, and or a similar test and told them they were going to be marked against their white peers or their non-white peers, they all significantly did worse because mm-hmm. there's this belief system, right, that is trapped within the paradigm of white supremacy. So that also makes sense for ageism, mm-hmm. right? Or for exactly. And exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, there's there, I'm aware of a similar study mm-hmm. where some of the black um the, the, the black participants mm-hmm. were not asked to identify their race mm-hmm. on the study. Yep. And the same others the same were. Yeah. Guess who did better? The people who didn't identify, right? The people who didn't identify because then they weren't primed by their own negative view. Yeah. And subconscious. Yeah. That internalized. That, that internalized racism. Yeah. It, it's interesting. So it's exactly the same mechanism, precisely it, the same mechanism. It blows my mind so much more. Like, you know, I've always been a fan of positive thinking. I found myself in a rabbit hole when I was studying Anasara yoga because there was positive speak uh, thinking and then there was spiritual bypassing, which I think mm-hmm. that whole practice had a whole lot of it in. But really focusing and balancing things out. So there's a woman in my Pilates class. Her name is Deb. Hey, Deb. I don't think she listens to the podcast, but in case she does, um, she was talking about she's a sign language interpreter. And she was talking about giving people tools to successfully live their lives and how that changes their perspective 
around aging, when people are given tools to keep moving forward. And it's a hundred, I a hundred percent believe um, that if you, if you look at aging as this positive, wonderful thing, she said the same thing. You're more likely to take care of yourself when you start noticing things aren't going the way they should. And I had a very similar experience of that. I uh, started having all these problems in my body that I just attributed to, oh, I'm getting to the age where menopause is going to start happening. So this is all menopause. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. Well, it came to critical mass where I almost had a catastrophic event because I had just assumed that this was part of aging and there was nothing I could do about it. So Mm -hmm. there's no point in talking to anybody about it. I ended up going to the doctor and it ended up being my thyroid. And I was really close to tachycardia. Like I was really close to having a heart attack because my, you know, if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with hyper um, thyroidism, everything Mm -hmm. is sped up right? Mm -hmm. And so things that I just attributed to getting older, which isn't necessarily only getting older, but these are things that all people experience, but I, I just didn't bother to check it out because I figured there is nothing I could do about it. And Mm -hmm. it was a really, that was a huge wake up call for me to pay attention, right? Things are definitely going to shift as I get older, but a lot of things get better. And I just Mm -hmm. came from teaching a Pilates class. I subbed for somebody who was like panicked and was in a tight spot. And I said, I can help you out. And I went and, you know, taught a Pilates class and it just reminded me how important it is for us to continue to move. And whenever I'm teaching those things, I'm, you know, always attaching what we are doing as a functional movement. So if I have people squatting down and lifting their arms up, I'm like, this is you putting your 35 pound um, carry on into the overhead bin all by yourself mm-hmm. because you're traveling. Now that you don't have to work anymore, you now mm-hmm. can take up the travel mantle. So we don't want to check luggage because we're going to travel light. So we're going to take that carry on bag. Or here's you carrying your backpack as we're hiking through whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of my best stories of really getting um, a wake up call around my own ageism is when I owned uh, Eastside Yoga Studio in town. I had a woman call me up and say, "You know what? I'm in my mid seventies. I have frozen shoulder. I have a knee replacement. I'd like to get back to my yoga practice. Can I come in?" And just listening to the, you know, the sound or the of her voice, I'm like, "Okay, this is an older woman, maybe not really super mobile. Let me, you know, set up the studio. We did a private. She shows up." And she's wearing this fabulous uh, outfit that she got when she spent a summer in Thailand. And uh, she brought this, um, I think it was a, uh, an, I think it was incense she brought that she gotten when she was traveling through Tibet. Like she was like a well-traveled, she came in in like mm-hmm. a sports bra and tights and she mm-hmm. was very mobile. And I thought to myself, mm-hmm. she said, I have a frozen shoulder and I have this knee issue, but none of that slowed her down in any way. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was incredible. I thought this is a woman who I, I can't even like her goal in life was to do a handstand by the time she was 80. And that I had never seen anybody embrace Mm -hmm. life in that way. But then I come to know her and she's always been this trailblazer, right? Mm -hmm. I got to go to her 80th birthday and she's, she had her, she had dyed her hair pink and purple and she had gotten a glitter tattoo. And she told me there's no way you were going to stand. Like I had purple hair at the time. She said there was no way that I was going to outshine her on her 80th birthday. So she had to dye her hair pink. And I just thought to myself, that is what longevity Mm -hmm. and positive aging looked like. Like I've never met anybody who was Mm -hmm. just, she at 70, uh, um, went on a hike through, I want to say Columbia with a machete and a backpack and a guide. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And she said it never occurred to her that she couldn't do these things. Because mm -hmm. I, I would think as my adult children, if my mother came to me and said, listen, um, I'm going to go on this trek. We're going to jump out of a plane. We're going to land at a base camp. And I'm, I'd be like, um, uh, uh. but, you know, <laughs> okay. But now yeah. I, I need to have a broader, like, until you can't, then you can't. But mm -hmm. as long as you can, then you do. Oh, I think I think that that what you just said un, un, until until you until you can't you can't, and and I think that that's a really important thing to hold on to, mm. to to be focused on what we can do. Yes, and then there will come a time, because impairment is an yep. inevitable part of aging. Yep, there will come a time when I can't anymore, but as I train to age, it's I'm training train for that moment. Age. I am training for that moment where, as I begin to experience perhaps some physical impairment, maybe I can't do a chin-up anymore. Maybe I'm experiencing some mild cognitive impairment. Maybe not. But I've been training from the earliest of ages, ideally from when I was a child, mm -hmm. to see that value, that enjoyment can be found in life regardless of my level of physical or mental ability mm -hmm. that things are possible regardless of, of of the impairment and that i can contribute very positively to society absolutely even if i am dependent on somebody else to help me i think one of the things that scares people around aging is the fear of quote unquote, being a burden or yes. coming to be dependent yes. on somebody else, often people in their families. Well, I, I guess I would ask, well, what's, what's, what's so bad about being dependent? Yeah. What's so bad about asking for help and mm -hmm. offering help? I mean, I think that it is a bit of a myth, this idea of the, of the uh, rugged individual, yeah. that, that in fact, we are interdependent. Mm -hmm. And as we move through all of life stages, how, how, can we, how can we take advantage of that great inter interdependence rather than isolating ourselves in our own little self-centered silos mm. and thinking that we all have to do it by ourselves? All by ourselves. I think that's beautiful. And I wish we could move towards that model more i just i notice more so in north america this idea like you said of this rugged individualism i must do it all i must have it all and as a woman i've pretty much been trained that, that mm -hmm. i can have a family look after a house but yet still have my career uh you can't without help i'm just gonna mm -hmm. lay it out there i mm -hmm. um I started a business when my son was six months old, the one that, you know, <laughs> came in and was talking to me um, when I was si when he was six months old. And, you know, at the time, my husband was on a day shift. So we figured out that I could start this business in the evening. And when this business became more popular and I needed daytime hours, my mother was living in Barbados at the time. And I called her and I said, I need help. I need, I'm going to open a business. I, I need somebody. If I can't be here, I want the next best thing, my mother, right? And she was, she sold her house. She packed up her stuff and she moved back to a cold climate to help me because in 
in my culture, in, in Bayesian or West Indian or Caribbean culture, it's more connected that we help each other, that we mm -hmm. are stronger together. And I find in North American culture, it's like you have to do it all yourself. And I even mm -hmm. noticed that around having babies, like in certain cultures, you know, you're like, especially East Asian cultures, your parents come in and cook for you. You know, you get to rest. People take care of you because you've just had a baby. But here, I just remember um, when they handed me my baby and I left the hospital, I'm like, now what? And then mm -hmm. Alan was off, took six, I think he took like three weeks parental leave at the time mm -hmm. or six weeks parental leave. And I remember my in-laws going, why are you staying home? Shouldn't you be getting back to work? And he's like, we just had a baby. I mm. want to be home to bond with my baby. And I remember just everybody kind of looking sideways at him for taking parental leave. I mean, that's almost 20 years ago, so it's very different now. But I just remember him sitting on the stairs holding Nathan, who just drove out of the house, like which seems so strange to me, holding Nathan and him going, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You're going to be okay. And me feeling the utter overwhelm of like literally being all by myself with this new baby. Mm -hmm. And I know just in other cultures, we come together. Um, I know in, in my culture as well, we generally don't put our elders and there's respect in being an elder and a good ancestor in, um, you know, retirement facilities, unless there's something like dementia or, um, you know, something like Alzheimer's where they're going to need around the clock care. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we just either move our parents in with us or we move in with them. So I notice also that in Asian culture as well from my friends who are, um, you know, in East Asian culture that we look after our elders because mm -hmm. it's they're an important part of our lives. Mm -hmm. They add so much value to be intergenerational families so that my kids get to know, like really know their grandparents, not just mm -hmm. to visit on a Sunday for a couple of hours. Like they're part of decision-making in the household. Um, you know, they're part of caregiving in the household and also taking care of. And I just remember when my mother came up a couple of weeks ago, we had family over, I think it was probably Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving. My sons were now old enough, and um, my oldest son now drives, to take my mother places, where my mother would take them places where they were young. So my mother has this love of thrifting. And my kids, it's a new thing in this Gen Z generation to thrift, probably because nobody has any money because of inflation, whatever. But they love to thrift. And so this was a big uh, full circle moment for my kids to take my mom thrifting mm -hmm. when my mother used to take them thrifting my mother loves goodwill value village consignment store she'll spend her whole day finding treasures and come back and see did you see my gucci bag i'm like good for you mom like she's really good at like getting in there and getting stuff and uh, i bet she's she telling, i bet she taught that she taught your sons a thing or two about thrifting as well which which brings up the whole idea of how this interdependence and fostering this inter interdependence that you're seeing uh, more in other cultures than you mm -hmm. might see in uh, the, 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 predominant, uh, the, the, the white North American culture that mm -hmm. is still largely founded on this idea of the rugged individual. Yeah. Is if you look at zones in the world where longevity is just off the charts, so people living into their hundreds. Yes these zones have something in common and it's that older people still have a sense of purpose. Yes. And, and that purpose comes from the interdependence. So it's not that as I grow old, I become useless. Yes. 
I still have a role and I still have a sense of purpose that I'm fulfilling within my community, within my family, within my society. So basically it's the, I still have a reason to get up in the morning. I still have a reason to participate. And that can be in any number of ways, going back to our discussion around full spectrum of human activities. But I think that one of the things that is happening in North American culture is those opportunities are, are, are taken away. Mm. So with, with, up until recently, mandatory retirement at the age yes. of 65. Yes. So it, it, interestingly, at the, at, it, it, uh, 100 years ago, uh, just a little bit more than 100 years ago, people were working into their 70s and it was, it, was, it was no big deal. Now there's almost this expectation of you're going to stop working when you're in your 60s or, you're gonna, you're, you're, or the, the idea that was touted a few years ago, freedom 55. Right, um, I remember that. And, 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 and again, this, this plays into the idea of the only person that really matters is me. Right. And it's not what I contribute to my society, to my family, to my community. It's not the interdependence that I am, I can pretend I'm not experiencing, but in fact, I am experiencing all the time because I simply cannot exist on my own. Ever. So I think that, you know, maybe one of the ways forward as we're beginning to look at combating ageism is looking at opportunities to exploit the potential of older people to still be participating members of their societies absolutely because absolutely. they're a tremendous resource they are a tremendous resource we I, are a tremendous but we resource. yeah they we exactly we are a tremendous and it's changing that mindset because that's something we've been trained to believe our entire lives and it's going to take a lot of self-study and focus to rewire your thinking and every time you catch yourself in that it's kind of like undoing a bad habit i say every time mm-hmm. you know if you tend to bite your nails or, you know, pick at your skin or whatever this like twitch that you may have when you do when you're nervous or however it shows up, it's going to have to be the same with any kind of ism Mm -hmm. and any kind of prejudice is when it rears its head and you see it looking back at you, you have to acknowledge like, oops, okay, let me back up. Let me reframe. Mm -hmm. Let me think about what it is I want to share. And at the gym that I currently work at, 40% of the demographic of the gym is between the ages of 20 and 29. So that tells me that 60% of the gym is over the age of 30. And I generally in my gym classes, like in my power yoga classes, I, for the most part, get that younger 20 to 29 who are looking to beat themselves up physically in a yoga class. And in my other classes where I really focus on longevity and getting stronger and successful aging, all those things, the demographic shifts, I get that 60%. But the truth of the matter is when I compare those two demographics in terms of their mobility, how willing they are to challenge themselves, how strong they are, my older demographic is much stronger and much much more able to adapt and figure things out than the younger generation. And I find that they're not as caught up in the, well, if I can't do this, I'm a failure. I find the people anyway that show up for me is that, okay, how is another way that I can do this? Where's the, how can I use my brain and figure it out? Like they're just, I I think at that, there comes an age where you start to maybe respect the vessel of your body a little bit more. Maybe you're not so interested in going all in if it means that you might injure yourself but that there's there's a certain reason that you're in those spaces and a lot of it for the people that I see is longevity 
the fittest people that I see at the gym are people over the age of 40, over the age of 50, over the age of 60. Like those are the fittest, strongest people that I see at the gym who have a really real sense of purpose. Now, are they afraid of aging? Maybe some of them, but the ones that I run into, I always say to them, we're just showing up. And what really stuck in my mind and another, another gem I'm going to be using when I teach my classes, a gem from David Wilson, we are training to get older. What? Brilliant. What? I never thought of it that way. We are training to get older. Well, I wish, I wish that I could take credit for that, but probably the most well-known anti-ageism advocate is a woman named Ashton Applehoyt. And if you haven't seen her TED Talk, you have to see her TED Talk. Ashton. Applehoyt. Applehoyt. I'll link it in the show notes. Don't yeah. worry, everybody. All the references that Mr. Wilson made, we will oh, link in the show notes. So don't worry. Excellent. So <laughs> I love the way that she actually defines ageism. Okay. So she defines ageism as discrimination against our future selves. <gasps> Fantastic. And she also talks Fantastic. about how it. we are all old people in training. So, yeah, I wish I could take credit for it, but I, I actually give, need to give a little shout out to Ashton Applehoyt. All right, Ashton Applehoyt. I love that. We are all in training. I think it's but, important. But I will add something of my own, mm -hmm. if, you, if, if you don't mind. And, of and course. It's how I think it's very common in um, fitness and wellness spaces mm -hmm. to use the word senior, yes. so senior class, when we actually mean gentle class. Yeah. And yeah. What, what you're just talking to is back to the idea of let's not make assumptions about somebody's capacity. Yep. That people of all ages mm -hmm. can be frail yes. and yes. can be strong. Absolutely. So it's, it's really important not, for example, to create expectations around aging mm -hmm. by using the word senior when we're talking about classes for older people, there's nothing wrong with having a class that is encouraging um, older people to come to that class. Mm -hmm. But within that class, there has to be a variety mm -hmm. of, of, of I love your word, bus stops. Yes, yes. From, from the nearest bus stop to the furthest bus stop. And all bus stops are, have, 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 have value. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny how we automatically assume, like you said, because it's a senior's class, it's a class for people who aren't going to have like great proprioception or strength or any of those things. And um, way before the pandemic, maybe about, I'm thinking now, it must have been like four or five years ago, I was invited to a, like a Zoomers day at the community center. So they invited me to come out and teach a movement class. And I thought to myself, I generally don't really work with older populations that um, what I don't know what I'm getting myself into. So let me just go and see what people can do and we'll just do what we can do and who cares. And that was my pretty mm -hmm. much my attitude. And so they had also hired a company that was new that was also doing a seniors fitness. Right. So they came in and um, they were all pretty active. There were some limitations happening. Nothing that couldn't be handled by bringing a chair into the mix. Mm -hmm. Nothing that couldn't be handled if we like I set up in the corner. It was a huge gymnasium. And so I made sure I set up in the corner of the gymnasium. A 
so that my voice doesn't get lost in the vastness. My voice bounces off the wall so it's easier to hear. Plus, if people needed to reach out and touch the wall. So I just made a couple of adjustments to how I set up. And I thought to myself, these folks are willing and able to participate. So let's just see what we can do. And I just offered, like you said, steps and bus stops, places to grow, places to be curious, places to explore. This is the kind of language I was using. And they were really getting a sweat on and they were really excited. And they came up to me and they're like, when do you teach here? And I go, I, like, I don't. This was just kind of a specialty thing. You can catch me, you know, on the interwebs if you're interested. And then as I was leaving, the senior, um, pe the people who teach seniors, came into the space. And so I was curious to see what they were going to be teaching because I just flew by the seat of my pants. I did a few things. I'm thinking, okay, we can modify or create a variation this way. We can add a challenge or take away a challenge this way. And I was just kind of playing it by ear, but I wanted to see how somebody else would set up that class. So they had everybody sitting down doing things that were just useless in my opinion. I'm mm -hmm. just going to say it. And I watched these people get really bored really fast. Mm -hmm. And then one of them was like, is this all, and literally I heard this, is this all we were going to do? Because the mm -hmm. last woman was in here, she kicked our butts and we had a good time. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that I wasn't supposed to challenge people with movement mm -hmm. or let people know if they didn't get it, it didn't matter that whatever it is they were doing mm -hmm. is exactly what they needed. But I watched almost people dumbing down this for folks or making this somehow less than, and like super boring, mm -hmm. like super super boring. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first thing I said to my group is like, listen, I'm a child of the, I was born in the seventies. I was a teenager in the eighties. I really like that kind of music. If, if everybody's okay with that, or is there a playlist that I can play for you? Is there a period in time that really just makes you, the music of that time makes you really happy? I've got Spotify. I'll find a, a list. And they were just like, no, let's just play whatever. No, exactly. let's just go with it. And I just love this idea that they had let go of expectations or what other people's expectations of them was like completely none of their business. This, I think, ties into basically the only way that I teach. So you and I have talked about this before, right? I have really only one hard and fast rule for all of my students, regardless of age, all of my clients, and even for myself, which is practice today in a way that makes you excited about practicing tomorrow and that oh, makes nice. you capable of practicing tomorrow. Nice. And I think the, the idea of balancing challenge with nurture, being able to help our, the people that we're working with understand how to make something easier for them or harder for them or more interesting for them or more comfortable for them or more exotic for mm, them. Mm -hmm. These are really, really important skills that are probably just as important as the actual movements that we're teaching. Yes. Because especially when you look at um, an older population. So when you look at, depending on the definition of old age, for some it's, it begins at 60, for some it begins at 65. But now let's take a look at how we have more and more people aging into their 90s, yes. aging into their hundreds. Yep. So if you take a look at between the age of 65 and 100, that's, that's a huge number of years. It is. And the people who might be participating in our classes, if we're looking at an older demographic, there are going to be huge variations depending not only on age, 
-hmm. but on history of injury, on attitudinal or or, uh, things around their own self-perception that we've already talked about, around social and cultural influences and opportunities that they may have had in the past or not had in the past because of family responsibilities or socioeconomic circumstances. So it is incredibly important for us as teachers to not just teach movement, Mm -hmm. but to teach discernment. Yes. So that we are in fact empowering our students to create a practice that they're going to be excited about. Like I can, I can look at you and I could try to create a practice that you find exciting, but I'll bet you, you can create your own exciting practice way better than I can. Absolutely. And similarly, I also think that you know way more about your body and you certainly know more about what your body is experiencing on a given day than I do. Yep. So you're in a far better position to be making decisions around level of challenge, whether you want to make what I'm proposing easier or harder or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. That is ultimately up to you. I talk, I talk to the people that I'm working with in my classes as, hey, I'm making a proposal just because I'm proposing. You don't need to say yes. Exactly. I say a lot of that too. You know, I'm here mm-hmm. as a guide. These are suggestions. If there's yep. something else that works for you better or there's something else that you want to challenge yourself with, yep. I do not want to be the one to hold you back. You mm-hmm. know your body best. So this segues mm-hmm. pretty much into our final questions as we uh, come to the end. I could talk to you for hours. I just think this is so fascinating. And I want to thank you for opening my eyes to all of this, giving me Uh, language around it, helping me find discernment around it, and helping me break down my own internalized ageism, which there's always work to do, everybody. Growth continues. There's always work to do in every ism. What are like three tips that you would give folks around being intentional with their well-being? What are three like little things that you, nuggets that, maybe even nuggets for yourself that you would share with our listeners around being intentional about their movement or their well-being or anything like that? I think be curious. Yeah, that's a good one. So for any number of reasons, we might be placing expectations or limitations on ourselves. Mm, So maybe, first of all, starting where I am. So I think that there is a huge tendency to try to move beyond where we are too quickly. Yes. So why don't I start where I am and just move out a little bit from there? And, you know, then maybe move in a slightly different direction. This is very much in keeping with what you do on your Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I do. It's exactly, yeah. it's exactly, it's precisely what I do. Just so I start where I am and then I explore. Yeah. And, and also to bring... The joy of creativity Mm. into what you're doing. So start where you are, be curious about where you are and be curious about where that can take you. But bring some of the joy of movement. How can you enjoy this rather than suffer from it? (laughs) There's such such a narrative around suffering. I mean, we've all heard no pain, no gain. Yeah, I'd like um, that to go away. <laughs> yes, very much so. So mm-hmm. uh, there, there, there's so much suffering that is associated with intention, with 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 moving. Well, yeah, can't I move in a way that's good for me that I might actually enjoy? Enjoy, and maybe I can bring some creativity into that, 
and take something, for example, that I've done in class or that a teacher is proposing and tweak it a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe put, maybe put some music on and try to do it to a particular rhythm. Yeah. Or um, something that I love to do all the time is to take two movements that nobody would ever put together. Oh, yeah. And you've seen me do this. I've seen you do this. Yeah, take two movements that nobody would ever put together because they yeah. belong to completely different movement domains and put them together and just see what and happens. And see what happens. It's yeah. Like- back to being curious it's and, back to yeah and i guess i guess the last thing is just start and yeah. i guess this is this is That's to a degree my my what takes me through life like mm. j- just start yeah make mistakes yeah make mistakes you're going Get to make wrong. mistakes. And in fact, these days, I intentionally seek areas of discomfort because that's where I'm going to learn and grow the most. It's true. Rather than hanging out in what I can already do, I look yeah. for the things where, mm, this feels a little bit unfamiliar to me. This feels really yeah. challenging. Okay, let's go there. Let's jump into so, it. So, you know, start, make mistakes, assess, learn, keep going, make mm-hmm. more mistakes, rinse mm-hmm. and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. I love Basically, that. Basically it's 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 simple but it's not easy. Yeah, I love that term. It's simple but it's not easy and I would add my final thought to that is consistency. Mm-hmm. Like when people ask me how do you get up and do these things every single day? It's not really motivation. I know that if I'm consistent mm-hmm. that this will this will keep me on the path, right? This will ah. keep me feeling good this will keep me pro you know seeing progress like mm-hmm. i it's not about being motivated it's about being consistent and it's about investing in my future self mm-hmm. mm. just one one last thing because yeah. that was so such a gold nugget there my friend um i think that in the early stages when we're starting out or when we're going through a transition mm-hmm. it's really useful to think about how the priority more than the movement itself is to build the habit. Yes. So whatever you need to do to build that habit, Mm -hmm. whether it's habit stacking, and I'm sure Diane, you can find a link to that. Yes. I will link to all these things in the the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, whether it's habit stacking or the way I started was somehow if I told myself I was going to practice for 15 minutes a day, I could say, no, I don't have time. Don't have time. Don't have time. (sighs) Right. So I had to, bring that down to the point where I couldn't say no. Mm. And it was 10 minutes. 10 minutes was my magic number. The gift if of it 10 was minutes. 10 minutes, I couldn't say no to it. True and I built the habit. And then of course, on most days, it was I, 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 after I'd done my 10 minutes, I wanted to do more. Yeah. But again, it's the idea of giving myself an invitation mm-hmm. and listening. So never stop listening to yourself either. Your body actually wants wants to do what you're asking it to do, but it's also going to give you tremendous feedback that's going to help you in the long run. So build the habit and keep listening. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's absolutely fabulous to talk to you. This is David Wilson from Old School Moves. I will link all his details in the show notes. And I want to thank you for being such a good friend and for calling me together, which is a term Mm -hmm. that you've created that I really like when we are perhaps falling into old patterns around what we believe about age, gender, sexual orientation, race, 
all of those things. So we got to continue to unpack that for intentional well-being. As always, growth continues. Thanks, David. Interdependence. Right? Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next time.